Welcome back to Brussels Street Replay. This is a draft night podcast. This is the instant reaction podcast to the uh, first round of the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, joining me is my my good, good friend, Zachary Siegel. Zach, great to have you. Awesome. Uh, great to be on here. Yeah, and, and a really interesting first round. I think before we go right after the Ravens picks here, um, I think we talk a little bit about the top 10. I mean, Bryce Young was the obvious pick at number one. It felt for a long time that the Texans were going to go quarterback at two, and that did come true. But then the real surprise came when they traded back up to three uh, to go ahead and take Will Anderson, which to me is a D'Amico Ryan's compromise, basically saying, look, if if you're going to make me take a quarterback at number two, I want to get back up to number three and take Will Anderson, take my guy for my defense. If if the ownership is going to step in and make me take a quarterback, um, that's that's going to be that's going to have to be our compromise. And I think he has that leverage as the incoming head coach. What do you think of that move to go ahead and go back to back with Shroud and Will Anderson there? Well, so I uh, I really thought that uh, that Houston was all set on Bryce Young uh, before Chicago had traded back, hmm. um, and then once. Uh, uh, Carolina traded number one. I really thought that, uh, you know, D'Amico Ryan's being a defensive minded guy, that Will Anderson was their guy. Like, I really thought that Will Anderson was going to go number two. And when he didn't go number two, I was thinking they got to make a defensive splash at some point. Um, and but I, I definitely was not expecting it to be the the third pick. Um, it's that was that was a wild development, but. I mean, that's they honestly they might have won the draft. I mean, from from a non yeah. perspective, they they might have won that draft with just those two picks right there. Yeah, I mean, Will Anderson is one of those guys that I mean, he was my number one player in this draft. I remember um, at the beginning of the draft last year, a lot of people were saying that if Will Anderson was draft eligible in 2022, that he would have been the number one overall pick or at least the number one overall talent. And to me, when you're saying that about a guy a year before he's draft eligible, that says a lot about what he should be, where he should be going the next year. And I think that we saw that with the Texans trading back up for him and saying, um, you know, this, this is our guy. This is, you know, we, we took a quarterback at two because we needed a quarterback and this is the NFL, but D'Amico Ryans is, is very much staking his claim to reforming the identity of that defense. Um, a defense that really didn't have much of an identity in the past few years. And so that, that is kind of a, a kickstart rebuild, so to speak. You have your quarterback, you have your foundational piece on offense, and you have your Will Anderson, your edge rusher, uh, foundational piece on defense. Don't love trading up philosophically in general, but Will Anderson is the kind of player that you trade up for. The rest of the top 10, um, nothing too shocking. I think a lot of people had Jalen Carter to the Seahawks at five, um, and, and he fell all the way to nine, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but any other surprises from the top 10 for you? Um, Bijan Robinson in Atlanta, I wouldn't say was surprise, but I, I, I like what they did there. Um, I really wasn't, you know, sold on Bijan anywhere. Cause I mean, with a running back, you can put him almost anywhere. They're very versatile players and Bijan himself is a very versatile player, but I, you know, I, Atlanta has a lot of holes right now, and I just I wasn't sure that running back was really the their biggest need right now. Yeah, a little odd seeing them take Tyler Algar last year, have a really good rookie season, and then come back and take Bijan here. Can't argue with Bijan's talent, of course, and I'm on record um, to to some mockery saying this, but Bijan at eight is is just just too high for a running back. I just I just don't see the value there. I think that 
um, for a team that has so many other clear holes and, and a lot of ways to go before they're building a competitive team. It just feels like Bijan is going to rack up 15 to 2,000, 1,500 yards to 2,000 yards a year for the Falcons for the next four years, and they're going to maybe make the playoffs once. And it just doesn't feel like the best use of resources. Um, again, hard to argue with his talent. He's a guy who at 22, if everyone else I liked um, was off the board, I would take him over the player, the rest of the players I didn't like so much, if that makes sense. You know, Brian Bercy or Emmanuel Forbes or something like that would not have loved it at 22 so much as I would have just said, okay, Bijan is a clear top 10, if not top five talent. Regardless of position, just take him and you can lock down the position. But at eight, it just feels like you could have traded back from there and and, and done something different to, to gain a little bit more value for your team. Moving on, um, I guess we can we can move on to Jalen Carter now. I mean, his fall is not shocking given the off-the-field concerns that it seems like plenty of teams had. Um, but for him to go to the Eagles at, at for them to trade up from 10 to 9, not give up too much in the process, um, pair him back with Jordan Davis in the middle of that Eagles front. It's tough to hate that move in general. It just feels like the Eagles really let the draft come to them in, in, in the top 10 here. Uh, no, absolutely. The Eagles, the Eagles did a phenomenal job. I mean, as you, as you said on Twitter, like how, how did we let this happen? Like how did, <laughs> how did we as a society let Jalen Carter um, fall to the ninth pick, let alone the the team that made it to the Super Bowl last year? Like that, that's going to make for a much scarier Philadelphia defense. And I mean, may, might as well be the Philadelphia Bulldogs at this point. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was glad there and I'm, I'm glad that Jalen Carter's in the NFC and, and yeah, like you're saying the, the Philadelphia Bulldogs, that is the uh, fourth defender in the last two years they've taken from that Georgia defense, obviously going with Jordan Davis in the first round last year, Nicobe Dean in the third round, and then Jalen Carter at the ninth overall pick. And I know I said we were going to wait to talk about this until until he came up for the Ravens, but let's go ahead and talk about it now. Nolan Smith uh, falling to the Eagles at 30 as well. That That is a huge get for them at edge rusher. Um, a, a front four of Nolan Smith, Hassan Reddick on the edge with Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter in the middle, along with everything else that the Eagles have is pretty formidable. And, and you know, like like I tweeted, like you just referenced, how did we let this happen? How did the NFL let this happen? I don't know. Clearly, the NFL was not as high on Nolan Smith as I was or as a lot of people thought the NFL was. He is 238 pounds, and, and a statistic I'd love to reference leading up to the draft was that no edge defender under 250 pounds had gone in the first round since Darren Lee and Leonard Floyd in 2016. And uh, not a great history for, for that size in the first round, uh, but Will McDonald went to the Jets much, much, much earlier than Nolan Smith did. And he comes in, I think, also sub 250, I think 239, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And so yeah. kind of an interesting pick to see the Jets go with him there if they want to go with a lighter player, um, a lighter edge rusher than, than Nolan Smith. Um, again, happy to not have Nolan Smith in the AFC, don't get me wrong. And I think that's one of the main takeaways I have from this draft, which is not a lot of guys added to you know very rival competitive teams that scare me in a big way. Yeah, um, going off of what you were saying with the uh, with Nolan Smith being taken so low, I was very surprised that both Brian Brees or Brian Breesy and Miles Murphy went before him. Um, you know, they did great things at at Clemson, but I mean, I I really thought that uh, Nolan Smith just 
overall was a better athlete. Um, but yeah, I also agree. There, there really wasn't a lot that, you know, a lot that scares me coming into the, coming into the AFC. I mean, but Buffalo got Dalton Kincaid, um, great pass catcher, kind of a, kind of a faster tight end, but you know, isn't somebody who I think is going to turn Buffalo from what they are now into something even greater. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same thing. The Steelers going with Broderick Jones, um, a good pick for them. I think a smart pick for them, but not a guy that you're like, Oh no, Broderick Jones went to Pittsburgh because in a way you kind of expected them to go offensive tackle one way or the other. And, you know, yeah, that's a guy that we're going to have to deal with for sure. I'm not discounting Broderick Jones ability, but he's not a guy that, scares me in terms of oh god now we have to play him and i think that's that's one of the reasons that i feel good about this draft class outside of the ravens you know you see the chargers going with quentin johnston at 21 you say okay they're taking a shot on a high ceiling guy but not a super high floor guy not a guy i'm worried about playing in the playoffs in 2023 for example and kind of the same thing with Christian Gonzalez and the Patriots. If they're able to make the playoffs in that tough division. Now um, Gonzalez is fantastic, a fantastic pick at 17, but he's not a guy that I think, Oh God, now Bill Belichick has Christian Gonzalez plug and play corner lockdown for sure. Huge fan of his game, but not something where I'm powering in fear of the talent that's being brought into the AFC in this draft, which you know, is normally not something I think about, but when you think about how strong the AFC is now, how strong the teams are, the quarterbacks are, bringing Aaron Rodgers into this conference, it is something that was kind of in the back of my mind thinking, you know, I kind of hope the NFC teams nail this draft and the AFC teams, you know, not that, not that I'm rooting for anyone to fail completely, but yeah, I kind of hope the AFC teams don't hit the ball out of the park in this draft as much as the NFC teams do. Just Knowing that Lamar is locked down, knowing that we're going to be competitive in this conference for the next five plus years, I did not want to see a ton of elite guys on good teams go in this go to AFC teams in this draft. Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of overall playmakers. Um, not a lot of those went really in this draft at all. Uh, you know, Tennessee took a lineman. Um, Pittsburgh, like we mentioned, took a lineman. I mean, speaking of Broderick Jones, I think he really plays well into uh, into the Ravens, uh, as a matter of fact. I mean, if you he, he's got, you know, long arms and ran into a little bit of, of uh, not foul trouble, sorry, uh, holding trouble uh, in college. And, you know, we got those young, fast ends with Udafe and uh, Jabo. And I think, you know, he might have a real hard time with that, especially as a rookie with, you know, these guys a couple years in. Um, yeah, I think if those guys are those guys are getting around the edge on him. That's definitely an area you could see like his job is for, to protect Kenny Pickett. And, you know, there's kind of an informal rule that says, OK, take a holding penalty instead of a sack. Um, but at the same time, a defense is pretty happy with the holding penalty. And so uh, seeing that the Steelers weren't super committed to upgrading uh, a key position like cornerback or wide receiver, um, at least makes you feel good about winning some divisional games next year. You know, the Browns didn't have a first round pick. And I think now that we're talking about the division, we can mention the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals went with Miles Murphy. Miles Murphy seems like a very talented edge rusher. He projects kind of like Odafeoe, physical, great athletic profile, but not the instant impact. I'm going to come wreck your team kind of player that, you know, 
you hope that a rival like the Bengals doesn't get, and they didn't. So it's 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 hard to not feel good as a Ravens fan about how the rest of the draft went outside of what the Ravens did. Now, when you think about what the Ravens did, you feel even better. And this is after the Lamar Jackson news. I don't think we've we've we haven't had a pod on roster report to really talk about the Lamar Jackson news. I'm sure that Brian McFarland is going to give us a much more detailed contract breakdown. But the general feeling is just we've got our guy. QB one is locked down. It's the most 100%. important position. Yeah. And and you just honestly, no matter how the first round went today as a Ravens fan, you have to feel good. But then to see 22 roll around and see Nolan Smith, Joey Porter Jr. and Zay Flowers on the board, which kind of feels like it was the consensus top three among the fan base for picks to go with. Having all three of those guys on the board just feels good. I think there were people who were looking for a trade back. I know Eric DaCosta in his uh, his press conference right after the draft said that the picks weren't good enough. The trade back options weren't good enough compared to the talent they could have gotten at 22. And as as highly ranked as I have both Lowers or sorry, excuse me, both Joey Porter Jr. and Nolan Smith as defenders, Zay Flowers was my favorite offensive player on the board. And if you really feel like as the Ravens that you're confident in your defense, you're confident that you can sign a cornerback two in the next month or so, you can attract other edge um, interior defensive line safety veterans to play on your team for a cost-effective price you feel more comfortable investing in your offense knowing, okay, I need someone for Lamar Jackson to throw to in the next four years as well. Yeah. And I mean, nail it on the head. I mean, Zay flowers, I, he was my, you know, number one wide receiver you saw in, um, in the mock draft that we did, I had him there. I, I talked about him in a different uh, Russ street report um, wide receiver breakdown or prospects breakdown. I mean, he, he he's told everyone like he can play anywhere. And last year at uh, Boston college, he, he did, he balled out, he played everywhere. He, uh, you know, he had, he made the contested catches. He shook defenders and, you know, there's questions about his size, but I think he really, he's really going to put those to bed this year. Not to mention he's, you know, Steve Smith senior approved. And we all know, you know, Steve Smith senior always seems to find the best wide receivers in every draft class. Was yeah, I was, I was, re- I was rewatching that clip as well. Of Steve Smith senior evaluating Zay flowers. And I mean, one thing, it makes me feel good about myself as an evaluator. When I see the same things that a guy like Steve Smith senior does. But I think the other thing is Steve Smith senior knows what it takes to produce as a smaller wide receiver in the NFL. And when he sees those qualities in another player, he knows how to recognize them. Uh, and, and Flowers, I think, kind of pops on film a little bit more than the rest of the receivers in this class did, maybe even more than uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba did. And don't get me wrong, I like JSN. He's my wide receiver one in this class. I think he's going to do phenomenal in Seattle. But he didn't pop on film as much as Flowers did. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been able to talk myself into the Flowers pick over Joey Porter Jr. and Nolan Smith is because I know what Flowers is capable of. and you and I were talking about this before we started recording. If this was a Greg Roman run offense and you were drafting a five, nine guy who is a route runner yards after catch threat and really projects as more of a weapon than he does just a pure outside wide receiver, you wouldn't feel as good about it because you know, you'd be relying on him to run block. You don't think you can trust Greg Roman to get the most out of a receiver like that. 
makes perfect sense. But Todd Munkin's in the building now, and Munkin has shown an ability throughout his coaching career to get the most out of whatever weapons that are put in front of him. And so I think when you when you say, okay, I don't need to worry about drafting a wide receiver for run blocking, I don't need to worry about making sure that this guy fits perfectly in you know a specific scheme. Instead, I can just say, hey, I think this guy is going to be an absolute weapon in the NFL. I think he's going to gain yards. I think he's going to open up an offense. I think that he's a guy that I am looking forward to designing plays around. That's the kind of pick that you're very happy to make in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this new Todd Munkin offense, like we saw what he did in Georgia with with the likes of, you know, Stetson Bennett and a bunch of really talented tight ends. I'm so excited to see what he's going to do in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and now these new uh, these new uh, wide receivers. I mean, he's got a great offensive line. It's it's a really, really exciting time to be a Baltimore Ravens fan right now. I mean, you know, jitters everywhere. Yeah, and and, and an offense with that starts – any offense that starts with Lamar Jackson is obviously an exciting one. But when you have Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman, you feel good, right? I've, I'm a big fan of both of theirs. I think Bateman is still kind of underrated um, because of his injuries. I still think that he is – going to be that guy in the nfl but then you add odell beckham jr you add a veteran presence you add a guy who can play inside outside who is an infectious personality i mean rashad bateman's excitement about odell beckham jr is not you know was not fake it was very genuine and then you add a guy like zay flowers who i wouldn't say i put him in the odell beckham jr mold they're very different body types they're very different players but that infectious personality and and kind of know-how that Odell Beckham Jr. has bringing in a player like Zay Flowers to to work with him, to work alongside him could really go a long way in terms of developing Zay Flowers into uh, everything that he could be in the NFL. And I think that that is something to be excited about whether or not you're all the way sold on Zay Flowers as a come in day one and really impact player, which I personally am, but there are, there are people who might not be, I think that you can be more confident in his ability to develop in Baltimore now than you would be if he was drafted here a year or two ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, new new coach, new system. But, uh, after you know, after he was drafted, the Ravens held a press conference with him, you know, as they do. And almost every answer that Zay Flowers gave was just, you know, I'm excited to get out there and get to work and get to know the guys. And that's really the attitude that, like, it seems everybody has right now. I mean, Lamar said that after his contract, OBJ said that, like, it really seems like the attitude in Baltimore right now is like, get out there, get the work done and let's get, let's get ourselves a Super Bowl. Yeah. And and that does feel like what the team's expectation is now after locking down Lamar, we don't know what the contract looks like yet, but you can imagine that it frees up cap space for, Again, it doesn't necessarily look like DeAndre Hopkins is on his way to Baltimore. He stayed put today, which is kind of kind of surprising. Uh, but you free up the cap space to either shore up wherever you need to on offense or just keep adding to this defense and make it uh, really a true complement to what the offense can be. And it's it's tough. I'm 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 thinking in my head right now. I'm really trying to figure out what teams are more well-rounded than the Baltimore Ravens right now? Um, the the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Uh, I think maybe only the Eagles are more well-rounded 
But I think other than that, no team has built the offense and defense that is capable to sustain deep playoff run outside of the Eagles and the Chiefs get an automatic bid because they have Patrick Mahomes. But beyond that, it just doesn't feel like there is a more kind of complete team for this modern NFL. Again, Zay Flowers is not your traditional NFL receiver. He's smaller and all that, but it doesn't feel like it matters as much in the current NFL. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens have now the number one paid quarterback, the number one paid linebacker. I mean, the number one paid kicker. I mean, we have we have a, a, a star on on every single uh, uh, well on every single side of the ball, and with new coaches and with the new guys we're going to bring in that we have brought in, it really feels like the Ravens just have a lot to offer this year. And you you, you mentioned the Eagles. The Eagles defense and O lines were like were graded were the only ones graded higher than the Ravens by the end of the year. And I, I really think if we got Roquan at the beginning of the year, that our defense could have been the number one PFF ranked defense in the NFL. Um and you know we'll, we'll, we have we have a couple questions with the line, you know, Ben Cleveland at at guard and you know how all that will work out, but Overall, I really don't see any weak points in our team at this point. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that you feel good about is the Ravens have taken a hard look at where their deficiencies are and said, okay, we're going to address those. And, you know, I'm I'm not talking about Nelson Aguilar. I'm talking about OBJ and Zay Flowers. Basically doubling down and saying we're getting two pro-quality, you know, star quality receivers and you you may have some doubts and i'd understand it about their ability to really get the most out of flowers to develop him in the nfl they have not done the best job of that with uh their receivers in the past few years i think you could really only argue that bateman is on his way to becoming what he was supposed to be and even then that's been stunted by injuries so there's still some i don't know if, if there's so much risk as I would say, trepidation about drafting a guy like Zay Flowers in the first round. Again, Joey Porter Jr., Nolan Smith, still on the board. Joey Porter Jr., for that matter, is still on the board, though. And you feel confident about this team's ability to evaluate early-round cornerbacks and um, historically and say, okay, if they passed on Joey Porter Jr., there must be a reason for it. If they passed on Nolan Smith, there must be a reason for it. And... I don't know, man. Lamar's a Raven. Zay Flowers a Raven. This offense is about to put up more points a game than the defense is going to allow at the end of the day, and that's how you win games, right? Yeah, I mean, we we got a, we got a lot to offer, and we got uh, a lot of we got Zay Flowers, we got OBJ, like you said, two two players that you know we didn't have last year and could really make a huge impact on our team. I mean, the Ravens last year, their wide receiving core had the least amount of yards combined from any other wide receiving core in the NFL. So bolstering, I mean, you said you're not even mentioning Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar is still would have been a top wide receiver on our team last year in, in comparison to what we had. I mean, we are exponentially better right now before the season has even started than we were halfway through last year. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up Aguilar because that brings up another thing to me. Wide receiver is one of those positions, kind of like cornerback, where players tend to pick up a lot of week-to-week injuries. They're picking up a hamstring. You know, they, you know, rupture, not rupture, I guess, strain their quad, this and that, where they're out for a week. They're out for two weeks. And all of a sudden, you need your third, fourth player on the depth chart at those positions to step up. And when that guy is Tylen Wallace or James Prochet, you don't feel as good about it. But when that guy is Devin DuVernay or Nelson Aguilar, you're saying, okay, those are guys that I feel a lot happier about stepping up to not just fill a role in this offense, but actually make a difference in the game that we're playing in next week while, you know, OBJ or Bateman are out nursing their hamstring or whatever. So I think that that is something that, you know, it took a while for this offense, this front office to get all the way around to understanding, but it's not just having talented wide receivers. It's having depth. It's having multiplicity. And I think when you have really the top five guys on the Ravens offense, I would imagine are all comfortable lining up inside or outside in Bateman, Flowers, OBJ, Duvernay, and Aguilar. All five of them have solid experience on the inside and the outside. And you just, you got to hope Todd Munkin can cook. That's 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 one of the big takeaways from this draft as well is you got to hope Todd Munkin can really cook because as good as this offense looks on paper, a lot of offenses look good on paper. The Chargers offense looks great on paper, but they could not execute what they needed to do last year. And the Ravens could be the same way this year if Munkin doesn't really find a way to use everyone in this offense, their maximum effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always questions of doubt. Like it's 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 sports, it's the NFL. And at the end of the day, we do have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, we had a new defensive coordinator last year. And I think one thing that Ravens fans should have learned, at least from that experience, was that, you know, in the beginning of the year, McDonald kind of struggled. He but towards the end of the year, he really pulled it together. You know, we got him what he needed in in Roquan and people got healthy and he really put together a solid defense. And I think that, you know, there, there might be some growing pains this year with, uh, with Munkin. Like I, it wouldn't at all surprise me if we started the season and it wasn't everything, you know, the flashy numbers weren't coming up right away, but I think, you know, we need to be patient with it and we need to, you know, we need to give it some time before, you know, people jump ship and people decide, you know, Munkin, Munkin's not the answer. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a good place to, to, it's a find an ed for this podcast, partially because it's getting late and we have round two tomorrow. But the 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 excitement about Lamar and the excitement about flowers that should carry us well into August, right? We should be excited to have this team. But at the same time, you're right, putting a new offense in place. Lamar has not been the biggest fan of showing up to all of the off season uh, uh, off season activities, which. You know, whatever. That's totally up to him. Ideally, now that he has a deal, he'll show up to everything, but who knows? Um, but yeah, putting a new offense in place, one that a lot of people hope will be pretty different from Greg Roman's. That is a good thing in the long term. But like you're saying, in the short term, it does take an adjustment period. And as much as you believe in all of the guys on the roster to be really good at playing football in general, um, yeah, there's going to be some patience needed as the offense kind of fully gels over the course of the season. You know, as much as Odell, you know, loves 
or as much as Lamar loves Odell and Odell loves Lamar and as much as they've talked about wanting to play together, they haven't played together. They don't have that inherent chemistry that comes from players playing together for a long time, like your Joe Burrow and your Jamar Chase, for example, where they just they're on the same page at all times. And when you throw that in place, as well as a new offensive coordinator, uh, there are a few wrinkles there to iron out, I think. And and I think that you're right to uh, temper expectations just a little bit in terms of, okay, they're not going to be setting world records for NFL offensive yards week one, because it would be great if they did, but assuming that they'll do so is kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. So I'm, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm, I'm really glad we locked down Lamar. Obviously I think everyone is, I think flowers is a good weapon to add. And you know, you, you just, you just hope that this doesn't look really bad in hindsight with Joey Porter jr. And Nolan Smith becoming all pro level defenders really. Yeah. Well, uh, as you said, you know, it's getting late and we got we got round two tomorrow. So it's uh I'm excited, excited to see what else the Ravens hold in their draft and you know, tempering expectations as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to not get excited, but I also think that there's plenty of reason to uh to get excited in Baltimore tonight. So thanks so much for joining me, Zach. And uh we'll definitely be back on Roastery Replay soon to uh break down the rest of the draft. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me.